Welcome to Death by DVD's Five Days of Halloween. The death of slasher movies. Late two. Welcome back to Death by DVD's Halloween special. Slashers that killed the genre. Day two. I am Alexander Nash, and with me is my co-host. It's Hank. Yeah, it's still me. I think every time you announce me, maybe the audience hopes that it's going to be the guy that does those commercials and was the president on Twenty Four. Has that really good? Or the voice. guy who did Zima bottle raft jokes. All I can think about is that guy that's voice that sounds like this that did movies in the nineties. Are you ready to see the next new thing with somebody's face from a Tommy Hilfiger ad? Well, the next new thing is the next film on our list from nineteen eighty nine, a little movie called The Horror Show. Starring somebody that would never be on a Tommy Hilfiger ad because he is traditionally thought of as a very ugly man, but he's very close to my heart. I love Lance Hendrickson. Well, this film is actually somewhat special just for the sheer fact that Just recently, like Arrow has put out a box set of the House movies, and this is considered to be House 3. And the reason it's House 3 is when it was released foreign outside of America, the producers, Sean S. Cunningham and his production company, wanted to uh, release it as the horror show in America, but they had to retitle it. I'm not real sure why they had to retitle it, probably just because the House series had a better name over in Europe. So they tile it. That's baffling to me. I mean, so, I mean, was it like an actual like cult following? Because, I mean, I'm not trying to completely shit on the house series, but the very first movie is a bit goofy. It's I wouldn't say I enjoy the first one. The second one is just not my personal favorite. Yeah, I can sit through the first one and I laugh. I I like the characters. I like the actors. The second movie is a bit of a stress to get through it. But at least it, it fits with the first film. And as like for this to be a sequel in the house series. It does not fit at all because it is a stone cold slasher film. That's what it is. It's it, in a like, house. It's not... I mean, you've got a house, so you have a house in California, and that's about the only thing that really like transfers over. You know what this movie really other, um... reminds me of? Out of everything else, though, I think it's almost a more successful version of Shocker. Uh, I think Brian James is a much better slasher, a much better villain, and you and I actually sat through. We watched uh, Shocker one day together, and it's a fucking two-hour movie. I mean, it's really, it's really, long. really long for no well, this, reason. Like this was part of the long line of executed serial killers who come back from the dead to haunt the the, the cop that caught them. Because like in eighty eight, eighty nine, ninety, they were making a shit ton of these. The first Power, Shocker. The horror show. What's that one with Vigo Mortensen? Vigo Mortensen. Yeah, he's in, he prison? in prison. He's 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 like in prison. Oh, and prison. I, is it prison? Well, that's like more yeah, of a ghost yeah, story, but I guess yeah, yeah I guess because yeah. he was executed, it's a little bit different. But yeah, it's very samey at the same time. That was probably the more artistic one because they took the the formula and then tried to do something a little bit different with it. Well, they made it more of a ghost, like this kind of indiscriminate ghost and ghosty things are happening, as opposed to you know like a charismatic slasher type character coming back from the dead to uh, to stalk somebody. But um, this one back in the day. I loved it. I still love it for a lot of reasons, and most of it has to do with performances, performance of Lance Henderson, performances of Brian James. It's a piece of shit. It is a mess of a horror film. It was originally going to be directed by um, Alan Blythe, 
who uh, you might know from directing uh, Death Warmed Up. Um, is it he David never really Blythe recovered. or Alan? David. Um, it's yeah, David Blythe. David You're Blythe. Right. I, I'm sorry. It's the, the easy mistake here is it's an Alan Smithy script. So you've got Alan yes. Blythe. We're, we're, we're just combining it to make it easier for you. Why say many words when less gets job done? <laughs> but David Blythe was originally supposed to direct it. He got fired off of it. Uh, they, some reports said he shot most of it and got fired. Other reports say he was fired after the first week. But his name isn't on it because James Isaac's name is on it. The man who would go on to direct Jason X, another film that I personally despise. I think the movie's fucking terrible and I hate it. But he made this one and I do like this one for numerous reasons. It's goofy fucking fun. But overall, it's a terribly handled slasher film that no one saw. The best part about it is Brian James' performance, though, um, as a incredibly charismatic slasher known as Max Jinky, who runs around with his meat cleaver. And basically, after he's executed, he comes back as a ghost and haunts Lance You can't Henderson's just say furnace. when he was executed, though, because this is the most over-the-top, decadent execution in this era. He just doesn't die. It just continuously goes, and this is one of those yeah, things. Yeah, increase the voltage, shithead! He's very fun. Well, Brian James itself, it, he really is the gem. He is the reason you need to see the horror show and to sit through it and to enjoy it. You may remember him and know him from the infamous What's a Tortoise scene from Blade Runner. Everybody knows who Brian James is. He's a Dick Miller kind of cat. He was in a plethora of films until his uh, unfortunate demise in the late 90s, early 2000s. 99, 2000 or so, I think he had a heart attack and passed away. It, I mean, Hendrickson's great. I love Lance Hendrickson, but he's not selling shit here. Nothing, nothing comes into to comparison of how over-the-top Brian James is. I imagine Max Jinky is exactly how Charlie Sheen acted every single day from, like, 86 to now. It's actually a lot of fun, and what makes this movie fun is the amount of gags that are in it. Sure, it's about a ghost haunting a furnace, and it, they never really explain. Like <laughs> it really is. Was, it's a Brian James furnace ghost with Dee Dee Pfeiffer. He was giving himself. They here's as much as they explain it. He had he built an electric chair in his apartment to juice himself slowly so he could survive more of the execution. Like they describe it as like giving yourself little bits of uh, snake venom so you can develop an immunity to snake venom. So I don't know how you develop an immunity to electricity. But apparently it didn't work because he still fucking dies. His body gets set on fucking fire in the electrocution and he comes back as a ghost. So that whole explanation is out the fucking window of why he comes back as a ghost. At least it makes a slightly bit more sense and shocker, although not really, because still like he prayed to a TV god and he got powers of electricity. It doesn't make any sense. But regardless, he's haunting Lance Henriksen's furnace and he basically is taunting him and his family, mostly him to make him look like he's crazy. And when he does haunt him and he does taunt him, there are gags in place. Like he um, comes in the form of uh, his face appearing on a turkey as they're sitting down as a family to have a mid-afternoon turkey dinner. And <laughs> I don't know why you would have a like 2 p.m. turkey dinner, but here we are. I, I, I think when I was sitting and, and getting ready for this episode and watched this movie, I had texted you at like four in the morning really mad. Like, what did the mom wake up at three in the fucking morning? Really, to make a lunch like that, you would have to be up at 2.33. You, I mean, it's not like you can just throw a fucking turkey in the oven. Well, and there it's, were sides. it's his favorite. It's Lance Hendrickson's favorite. She does mention that. Okay. 
When did you start cooking? Yeah, I mean, you had to get up at least 2.30, 3 o'clock. There's a massive amount of sides, and that's what threw me off of, like, what do they do for breakfast? Why didn't we get that scene where they have 38 Belgian fucking waffles and 19 crepes? What's for dinner? Good God! I don't know, It's and it's it's dumb shit to pick apart, but when you're watching something like this... I mean, this is a movie that could get a Rift Track kind of treatment because every background detail is completely ridiculous and it's like an alien tried to make a movie that all these concepts and these ideas that are, yes, very true. It really like, fits together particularly well. It all just kind of is like sporadic and all over the place. Like, but like as you just said, like some things feel awkward because at that turkey lunch that they're getting ready to have, the mother says, you know, you're... Your grandfather always liked the drumsticks. And the son says, oh, that's some cool trivia there, Mom. Or his other line where he says, never sneak up on a man when he's blasting Metallica. It's got some really bad dialogue that all seems pretty improvised to me. Well, you know, what really just drives it home is it's Aaron Eisenberg delivering the fucking dialogue, and I hate that kid. He's dead. He's not a kid. (laughs) He's a grown dead man, actually. But I specifically and always remember him from Hollywood Bratz. I'm sorry, it was it's not Hollywood Bratz. Beverly Hill Bratz, and then Amityville Horror, The Evil Escapes. I just hate him. He looked, I don't know, I can't make fun of him too much because he's dead, but he just looked like he, I don't know, somebody that you'd beat the shit out of every single day. Maybe well, I'm it, showing it my... Seems like, I'm not particularly sure because I haven't looked into his history, but it seems like he had some sort of affliction where he couldn't grow. He had dumbass-itis. I don't know. I... <laughs> well, I mean, he was, because he always played a kid. He was like, in this movie, he's a kid, and he was probably in his, like, 20s. He's playing, like, 15. He just is like, he looks shrunk. He looks like Gary Coleman, almost. He lived from 1969 to 2019. He was 50 years old when he died. So, yeah, I mean, how old would you? Yeah, he would have been in his probably his 20s. Oh, see, yeah, okay. We're, I'm, we're making fun of somebody here. Not that we read off IMDb facts on Death by DVD, but as a teenager, he had a malfunctioning kidney and had to have a transplant, which stunted his growth to five feet. So there's there a reason. But it's the, I mean, a kidneys don't affect the punchability of his smug little fucking face. That's a completely different story. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's not like but, there's like a, a problem I'm talking about here. I'm so sorry to anyone afflicted with kidney disorders or problems that listen to Death by DVD, but I fucking hate this kid in everything I see him in. And what really drove it home for me in this movie is that specific never sneak up on a man listening to metallica that quote itself that blasting metallica hank get blasting never sneak up on a man when he's blasting metallica you almost gave me a heart attack yeah he was probably fucking listening to to megadeth don't lie fucking kids not cool what makes the movie work is all these little bits of weirdness throughout because Max Jinky as a character is weird because he's always doing one-liners and he's always doing that distinct Brian James laugh <laughs> where he sounds like the laugh he did in a um, crime wave for uh, Sam Raimi. It's the same basic character. And he's even. not a small man. It's not like he's some obscure, just, you know, meek mannered killer. And it's like Robert England, Freddy Krueger in the very first movie. He's always in the background. He's always in the shadows that hadn't become this very well, jokey delivered character it really wasn't defined by one-liners and brian james on the other hand is this massive hulking figure who is demanding screen attention i mean uh god it in lewis arquette and terry alexander also both in this film 
Yeah, Terry Alexander's at the beginning of it. Uh, Louis Arquette shows up as the police. He shows up in my favorite scene where they're um, interrogating the uh, internal affairs officers, interrogating Lance Henderson. And he is just fucking giving it both barrels. He's just screaming at Lance Henderson. It's a really interesting performance. And Lance Henderson, again, probably improving. You're breaking my heart here. I don't know. <laughs> it's like he just seems so like put out at a certain point in this film, which I'm sure the shoot was probably chaotic. But uh, like really what sets this one apart is, and if at all possible, you have to find the uncut version, of it, which is not easy to find. I found it online a long time ago. Uh, there's a certain European cut, I believe, or maybe a Japanese cut that has all the gore intact because it had a lot of gore that the MPA cut out over the years. And that really sets it apart from a lot of the other slasher films at the time. And just really weird shit happening, like the pregnancy daughter, Dee Dee Pfeiffer, um, being pregnant with Max Jinky's child at a certain point in an hallucination. It's his face poking through her stomach. And then they show the baby and it's his Brian James face on a, like a weird baby prosthetic. And I don't know. Lots of stuff like that. Way before face app. I think that's one of the most disturbing sequences of the scene. And that truly is again, one of the main reasons I think people need to draw attention to it and find it is just how absurd some of the imagery is. And to anything with Terry Alexander. I love that guy. I have a signed autograph of him on my wall. That's how much I love Terry Alexander. At the end, where we don't understand how he's come back from the dead as a furnace ghost, the way to bring him back so he can be killed is Lance Hedrickson has to enter a hallucination and electrocute him within this hallucination so he can bring him back like Freddy Krueger in Nightmare on Elm Street 1, and then he just shoots him. So none of this makes any goddamn logical sense whatsoever. Uh, they're really just like piecemealing the entire thing together, but all at the same time, I really enjoy the film. I actually do. So as far as like slashers that killed the genre, yes, technically this did, but I really like it as a movie, even though it is total dog shit. And two, it's more of a supernatural slasher than just a slasher, so you've got that cross-melding of the genres. But I, too, enjoy it, and, uh, you know, at the, the last episode, we said everything was going downhill from there, but maybe we lied a little bit. The horror show is pretty enjoyable. I mean, I think the biggest fault in the movie is, is just no connection. There's no... You, you follow Max, and you follow Brian James, and that's your lead of interest, and you end up wanting more screen time with the villain than any interest you have with the family or the, the character development with Detective McCarthy. It just doesn't matter. I don't care about Lance Hendrickson at all, as it should be, I mean, he's your lead. He's what you should be focusing on. So, I mean, we're picking, a point, picking apart stuff, I guess, that doesn't specifically matter on a Halloween special, but... Yeah, check it out. The pregnancy scenes would really freaks me out. That's It's not even so much that it's gross. I think it's just an incredibly uncomfortable and odd sequence. And it's full of those kinds of odd sequences overall. And the weird plot point of the son defrauding companies, which is just thrown in there as an extra sort of... Oh, God, sort of... I was so confused. I had to go... I saw... Okay, so you have the ending of the movie where he gets, like, a five-year supply of chili, and I was baffled. Like, what the fuck? I have, do I have to watch this again? So I did, because... That's what I do. I have nothing else to do. I watched the horror show again, and it's very subtle. It's it, it's at the beginning and maybe a little bit toward the middle, and it's just these weird cut scenes that maybe had some more substance or something else maybe in the script that just didn't show up on screen. But <laughs> the movie yeah, really the sun, ends. He, like, he sends letters to companies claiming, I found rat hair in my Nestle's quick, or I found a human thumb in your chili. 
And that, that's like the punchline at the end is they get a lifetime supply of chili. So that is the end. That's the <laughs> last scene. <laughs> yeah, it's the very, very end. It's just some guy in a pork pie hat like, we've got your five years of chili. Sorry about the thumb. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I don't know. It's just a really weird ride of a movie, but that's also what makes it enjoyable. Uh, killed the genre, but fuck it. Who cares? The genre was on its last legs at this point anyway. Well, if that didn't sell it to the audience, fuck off. Stop listening to Death by DVD. I mean, we. I implore you, if you've listened to any episodes this year, watch the horror show just because of the chili sequence. All right. Okay, now we're really getting into some shitty territory. I don't know how much nice I can say about this. A movie from 1983. Slash 1978. Slash 1980, the the like the the lineage of this movie and when they started filming to when it was released is a pretty inexplicable story because no one seems to agree when they started making this film. Written by Summer Brown and Edwin Brown, directed by Edwin Brown. It's The Prey. Uh, it, there's there's literally not a good thing I have to say about The Prey. Ah, I can say some good stuff about The Prey. Um, first of all, the poster has a great tagline, even though it's completely false. It's not human and it's got an axe. Well, you watch the movie, it is human, but it does have an axe, so half of it's fucking fake. It's a typical in-the-woods camping slasher film, and the uh, impetus of this is there was a gypsy camp that got caught in a forest fire. All of them died except this uh, overgrown giant of a teen who now has come back and is like some weird burn victim. It's played by uh, the, the giant from Twin Peaks, a.k.a. Lurch from the Adams Family movies. It's him caked in a bunch of really terrible makeup. Carl and he's, Struckin. He's killing teens in the woods. But that's not really what makes it special. What makes it special is the incredibly amount of inept filmmaking techniques that are used. First of all, the sheriff is played by Jackie Coogan, Uncle Fester. So you do have an Adams Family crossover going on here. So he's your star. You know what my favorite scene is? Is when Jackie Coogan has the bean sprout wheat sandwich. That's probably the most entertaining part of this movie, when he decides now, to try health food. For me, it's the, um, it's the, uh, the what's the the park the I don't know if he's the deputy or he's the forest ranger. He's telling a joke to oh, a he's deer. a forest ranger because that's one of the opening scenes. I'm not a cop. You like my it's not it's not a joke. I have to wear this every single day. I'm a forest ranger. And that's like that's the punchline. He's like sitting there just kind of talking like off camera to something. You don't know, you just assume it's someone, but he's really talking to a deer and he tells this incredibly drawn out long joke and then cut to hey, I've been talking to a deer the whole time. Fucking weird. And if you get this, Arrow has just put this out. It's just cleaned it up. And for years, this movie has been lost on video because it came out on Thorn EMI, I believe, back in the day. And it never really came out on DVD or anything. But it finally has come out and, you know, of course, pristine Blu-ray like quality from Arrow. And they have reinstated some of the flashback footage of the Gypsy Camp, which I've actually seen the Gypsy Camp footage now, the 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 the, the prologue of it. It doesn't help anything. Aww. It barely fills in the character that becomes the killer. He has like maybe one scene, and it's a lot of like this gypsy dude betting down ladies from the uh, the town. It's really kind of bad footage. I'm honestly glad they cut it. Well, for the most part, this movie is people just wandering around the woods aimlessly, and I think one of the and only nature footage, lots of nature footage, lots of snakes, birds, all of it. And none of it's specifically good. I mean, you could see a lot of it's kind of bought. It's it's purchased footage that's been added into the movie. The only, I think, effective... I mean, you've got this whole turnout at the ending and kind of a WWF-style... I'm sorry, WWE-style 
battle royale that goes on with the big freak. But the one thing that caught me, and you know, I, I just I think the only really effective sequence of the movie is when the mountain climbing accident happens. That I, okay, that's horrifying because it could happen. That's unfortunately the only driving force with this movie is the terrifying uh, the terrifying aspect is something that could actually happen. So, I mean, being in the woods, some weird mutant gypsy freak, which is a, a stressfully weird thing to add in. Like, where are there uh, campments of gypsies hanging out? Which I, I don't even think that's a term people should be saying anymore. Uh, just, just this, I don't know, everything about the prey annoyed the hell out of me. Most of it you're focusing on, way and again, like I brought up at the beginning of the show, you're just waiting and waiting and waiting for something to happen, and nothing fucking ever does. Not until I... the last, like, 30 minutes do we even really start getting to the murder. So much of it is them trouncing around in the woods with all this nature footage and a lot of improv dialogue, which kind of helps. It helps it feel more realistic overall. It's not a bunch of, you know, like terribly written, obviously fake dialogue. It seems like actual interactions between these teen characters. The first day of the five days of Halloween, we featured final exam, which I, I mentioned. I thought there was a lot of believability with the dialogue and the development of the characters and everyone seemed to have a bit of camaraderie i don't know what happened behind the scenes or if everyone just hung out and smoked a fucking pole but in this i mean yeah there's a lot of uh ab-libbed and, and shoot yourself in the foot dialogue but none of it to me everything seemed really oh it's pain. not interesting at all it just feels yeah. realistic it's, it's very terrible painful. dialogue and that stresses me out watching it more that I just want to avoid it. I want to find something else to do. I'm not even interested in seeing the mayhem and seeing the death at this point just because it's like, God, you guys are fucking awful. It's not even a, like a, a dinner theater. You're using the term mayhem like shit happens. There's not much mayhem. No, that's none it. at all. The uh, the person who gets their uh, their head turned around all the way around, that's kind of a cool sequence, but like the, the violence is pretty limited in this. The gore is not good. The makeup is not good. Really not much of it's good. It just drags its ass the entire fucking time. I think what annoys me the most is the fact that Jackie Coogan's character is named Lester. Really? All right. Oh, and he barely figures into the plot. He's there to, like, deliver some exposition. That's about it. It's, it's just mostly too on just... the fucking nose. We got Uncle Fester. It's... Deputy Lester, all right, eat shit. Eat shit and live. Yeah, it's just, it's a really piss-poor uh, camp slasher film. And again, what killed the genre is shit like this, because so much of it's dry, so much of it's dull. When you do get to the monster at the end, which they make you beg and wait for to the last 10 minutes, it's all just you know POV and hand shots. You get here, and it's just kind of really goofy makeup. And then out of nowhere, we uh, the last what two minutes we just imply a awesome just scene of rape. <laughs> I mean, like that's what we're gonna end our film with, rape. The end. I think something too, just to point out, and us to kind of acknowledge is here what what the entire meaning of the death of slashers is, and it's it's looking at the origins of the genre and where it began and especially in the United States in the early 70s and the evolution from Italian giallo to this just mess of people pumping things out because there was money involved and now you you move and we had mentioned on a previous episode about independent films and and the future of horror and where horror is is coming now so many people are lost and stuck in this era of of the death of of really where slasher was rotting and those are the things that are being heavily replicated because of the imagery and the thing about that is the imagery became so successful and became so popular because it was capitalizing on what 
was pivotal in the genre, what had made the genre uh, things like the heavy use of Steadicam, synth soundtracks, all the wrong aspects are being focused upon. It's not the the story, it's not the characters, it's not the fright and or the fear. One of the things that is amazing about slashers and giallo and its core is not being able to figure out who the killer is. When you have Halloween, you know it's some guy in a mask the entire time. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the American slasher, took away and reformulated what giallo was and changed and calculated the fear so you know who it is you know what is in your face you don't know who they are or why they're doing it but you can see your villain see, i don't mind that personally i don't mind the fact that i know who it is i don't need like a whodunit story but at least when you do have some mutated man or a monster or whatever and it's going to be the killer at least make that character interesting and most of the time they just couldn't find a way of doing it or they just didn't have a good character design overall and that's the problem with this thing is just the makeup is real piss poor on it and it just doesn't give you that it's the same thing with um the movie humongous because you wait the entire movie to see this this killer at the end and they hide it with so much darkness that you can't see really what it looks like at all and it just kind of throws a monkey wrench in the whole thing. At least make that interesting if that's the direction you're going with. Well, my point being with this is that you you focus on all the wrong aspects and you make this big mixing bowl of all the wrong things and when you fucking bake the movie and it comes out and you're ready to serve it to people, you've taken all the wrong ingredients and you've just made a giant mess. You've focused on all the wrong aspects and that tends to happen a lot and, and you surf through Amazon, you go through Shutter, you go through Netflix, you try and find something at least slightly intriguing by the eight minute trailer they force you to watch before you can focus on anything else. And it's all the same thing. It's all focusing on the same thing. It's focusing on the neon, the camera blur, the ne uh, the soundtrack. It's not focusing on the core and what made slashers so absolutely terrifying and what made the genre so perfect when it had its height. And it's something really comparable to, like, disco, that for, what, like, three or four years, you had some amazing fucking hits. Even Kiss made a disco song. God, Kiss made probably one of the best disco songs. I like that record. Yeah, we can't play it on the show, because Gene Simmons, man, he sees the shit out of you. Everyone loved it when they loved it, and when it was perfect, when it was the most attentive thing, every major producer, every major record company was making it to the best what, three years, two and a half, three years? I mean, 77 maybe to 80. And then the entire thing changed. The entire genre changed. It was dead. Same thing with slashers. You can look at every format, how it started. You can date it back to the early 60s with Giallo and Blood and Black Lace and, and, and Bava. And you can move into the United States and you can bring up guys like Toby Hooper and Wes Craven and John Carpenter. But by 86, it was fucking gone. It's, it's a reach at that point, and I think anything afterward is the wrong recipe. I think everything is a really shit souffle of synth, people either lost in the woods, campers. I mean, everything took really from that Sean S. Cunningham thing in the United States, and then now we're getting back into maybe a Toby Hooper-ish era where it's just massacre and violence. I don't know. I mean, I'm not an authority on slashers by all means. I think we've brought it up a lot on this show. It's more of your forte. Yeah, I would say it's my forte, and it's a bad forte to have because so much of them are just not very well-produced films. This is a prime example of that. And really, like, 
out of most of the films we'll be talking about, this is probably suspect number one is a movie just like this that really killed the genre is just you paid and you get no payoff. And it, overall, you just feel gypped after watching it, even after all these years, even after like almost like 40 years it, now, it's just been like, wow, because they're selling like a $40 Blu-ray Arrow is. And I get why they're selling it. I understand how their company works. I understand how dividends work with that. But at the same time, it's a jip. It's a jip to fucking buy this movie because you're not going to enjoy it. It's exhausting. There's nothing to enjoy. It, it's just exhausting. You you want payoff the entire time, and it's just similar to listening to Death by DVD. You finally get to the good part, and then the guys are like, hey, the ashtray's full and the bottle's empty. Stay tuned and check us out tomorrow on part three of our Halloween special. Oh. Is that the end? Join us tomorrow as the five days of Halloween continue on Death by DVD. I'm Linnea, and I like Death by DVD. It's a statement. DVD is recorded in front of a dead studio audience. Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced. The management and the staff wish you a pleasant good night and good morning. At this, At this time, time, we, we conclude, conclude our, our broadcasting. broadcasting. Just keep, just keep, just keep, just keep. Just keep, 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 just keep